the Academy Award-winning director, Steven Soderbergh. Brett Favre claims not to know what a podcast is. You know, I have a podcast, Brett. Did you know that? Um, no, you don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> Reggie Wayne, Brett Edward. I had a, a, a pet snake mm-hmm. by the name of Law. I'm not a snake fan. I don't like snakes. Buy the snake in the house. I get a, a, a text on my two-way. Law dead. <laughs> Chris Cooley threatened to prank call me. Steven, how are you? This is David Dunn. Did I see No, you didn't because I'm recording this thing right oh, now, no, dude. No, no. This You're is the, the podcast. Uh, you the Andy best. Reed did not call Tim Tebow last night. <laughs> too much. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, everybody. It is uh, the second one of this week, the first week of June in 2013, which once again is the last month in the NFL calendar year in which very few major events take place. At least none are scheduled. You never know, again, in our business, who's going to flip over a motorcycle or do something silly or stupid or blow out something on their body. Um, And... um, that's the way things are going in this month. Nothing on that front, thank goodness. But um, then July will hit, and then who knows? We will blink, and it'll be the combine again. That's the way things roll in what we call the non-playing season. Um, if you missed our first podcast of the week, it was one that uh, Chris Law, Chris Brockman, I think we should all be proud of. I completely agree, Rich. Yeah, a lot of good comments on the, on the remembering Deacon Jones, for sure. Some from our friends across the pond in the U.K. saying, You know, uh, you know one of the things, you never know when tragedy will strike, and... It's how you respond to that, and I think we did a great job. Well, I mean, you know, with Deacon, he's he'd apparently been ill for the past few years, uh, past few weeks, and um, uh, it, it just was one of those larger-than-life guys, again, that, that you didn't see coming that could ever pass away, and, and he did, and just, uh, it was, a like I said, we, we heard from some folks across the pond saying they didn't really know who Deacon was specifically, and it caused them to look up his name or get some more information on him, and, you know, we're honored that uh, we could ever be, you know, used as a reference point for anything. Um, so, uh, again, thanks to uh, all the folks who, who sent in your, uh, your kind words about the podcast that featured Rosie Greer the last living member of the uh, fearsome foursome on that defensive line now. Also, Jack Youngblood calling in from a golf course for crying out loud. Jennifer Allen is eloquent uh, as ever. Uh, the uh, daughter of the late George Allen, whose second son is named Deacon after Deacon Jones. She was phenomenal calling on the she day was. of Deacon's passing. She was all broken up. You could hear uh, Warren Sapp and Michael Irvin, part of a conversation I had on the television side of things with Rosie Greer and then Willie McGinnis coming in here. And, um, again, you could hear stories about Deacon from everybody. And you don't see Sap get that emotional. Well, I mean, I knew, again, that, that, that this would be something for Warren that would really hit home. Uh, a fellow Floridian and a guy who he had been looking up to. I bet you since the minute Warren really hit the scene in Miami, he probably heard from Deacon Jones. He said they grew up in the same county, Orange County, in Florida. So the fact that Deacon, who is, again, such a um, such a – fixture at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You even heard Irvin mention how uh, the Ray Nitschke luncheon that takes place there just for Hall of Famers. That's the only people who are allowed in there. I've mentioned it uh, 
right. on the podcast, and and Michael mentioned it in the conversation that he took over for Ray Nitschke Deacon. It was really Deacon's lunch, and uh, Marshall Falk on the TV side, he said that when he went into the Pro Football Fame and he went to the Nitschke lunch, he taped Deacon's speech is at that, the lunch. Is that allowed? It is not. It is not. Because I was going to say that last time. Imagine if we could get cameras inside that lunch. And you're not allowed in. Spectacular. Well, I mean, you're just, that, that, is, that breaks so, some etiquette. So did he sneak it out? He, he did sneak it out. And he said that he listened to it when he heard Deacon pass. He put it on immediately and listened to it again. Wow. wow. Now, the question is, is, is how do I snake it out of Marshall's house and, how and do we play get it, it? on this show? Because, again, you will just hear unvarnished Deacon Jones, which I'm sure for him was essentially saying to all you new guys... You may have won all your rings. You may have all the records. But now you're just rookies here. And you best live up to the standard that we have all set at the Pro Football Hall of Fame moving forward. And you best have your rear ends here in Canton whenever you can. And I went back to uh, my book um, to read the sections that I had about my interviews with Deacon. And there was one... uh, in 2005, we had Deacon, Dan Fouts, who were teammates at the Chargers, uh, James Lofton, and uh, Jackie Slater, all in the same studio. And the reason why we did this is back in the day in 2005, we needed to have filler programs to go on the air at Total Access or a filler Total Access so we could all physically make it out to Canton. There weren't enough... Indians, if oh, you will. This is the one you were telling us last week. Whenever, yeah, no. yeah. Well, I didn't tell. I didn't. I didn't tell this story though. Is that Deacon? This was prior to the 2005 Hall of Fame, and we shot that interview, and that served as the total access on our travel days <laughs> to get out to Ohio, so we could flip the lights on and then begin broadcasting from out there. And um, the 2005 Canton class was had Dan Marino and Steve Young in it and Benny Friedman, who was one of the veterans' choices, the uh, posthumous choice, obviously. Benny Friedman, he was essentially one of the first quarterbacks to employ what's called the forward pass. He way, made it more of a... Yes, and Benny Friedman, by the way, a University of Michigan quarterback. Why wouldn't he be? And um, Deacon said, even though it was the 25th anniversary of his induction, he was inducted in 1980, this is 2005, he wasn't going because there were too many quarterbacks in the class. <laughs> so he went to New York. He didn't go to Ohio. Didn't go to his own luncheon. His own 25th anniversary of the place that he cherished so much, too many quarterbacks. Man, man. <laughs> Imagine he had a kid and the kid's like, Dad, I want to be a quarterback. Never. That conversation. Never. I mean, that was my favorite story that Jennifer Allen told was that when she named her first son... After a quarterback, Roman, Roman Gabriel, yeah. Deacon was not too happy. Kind of, kind of gave her the business. <laughs> I, I liked that her mom was the one that got him pumped up before yeah. the games at the Great tunnel. Stories. So please download that if you haven't, or listen to that after you listen to this one. Um, this show features Jeff Garcia. Now uh, Jeff isn't coming back. Um, he is. He's a, essentially a, a quarterback guru now. He's I mean, helping guys trying to come right. back. Right, and and the two people that he has been mentoring along with other you know young kids at his new football academy, the Jeff Garcia Football Academy, Jamarcus Russell and Mark Sanchez. Now, i got to admit this. Chris Law, you had to sell me on this one because the Jamarcus Russell story to me, I mean, it's not a story yet. Why not? It's not a story yet. Why not? Why isn't it a story for you yet? Because he's not, uh, he's not in my mind. He's not viable yet. 
Not yet. Nope. Nope. What, you know, I, because I, I know people are going to kick the tires on this guy if he's like, say, under two and a half bills. I think right? But that's about that's about where he's at. Here's the story. But what if he goes into this Bears workout and just lights it up? Well, if if you're the Bears, would you go ahead knowing that if Jay Cutler gets hurt, which he has before been hurt, would you turn the keys over to Jamarcus Russell? Would you do that? Who's their current backup? Doesn't uh, uh, well, Here the I'll current look. backup, the current backup, whoever that is. Off the top of my head, I, I don't have it. I don't either. Is it? Is it still KOP? Is, our, is, our, is, it, is it our? Is our latex salesman uh, on this? Of course, I'm on. I'm on their uh, depth their, charted. Their defensive depth roster. charted. Depth charted. Depth charted. Yeah, I, I'll get it here for you in a sec. Because it was Jason Campbell or whoever. Caleb, it was Caleb whoever. Whoever you're going to spit back at me uh, has not been a first overall selected quarterback who fought away his. Golden opportunity. That's one way of putting it. Now, I understand he had some issues with some important people in his life who passed away, yep. and I don't, I'm not belittling this. That's the caveat. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. There are many people who have golden opportunities in their professions who have to deal with adversity of people dying in their family, and they don't act that way. They don't turn to the scissor, okay? And again, this may sound heartless. And I don't mean it to be. Basically, you're just not giving him. You're not willing to give him. The I'm benefit not. Of the doubt. Certainly, if I'm if certainly if I've got a if I if I'm filling a quarterback spot on my roster, but a, a backup. I need to see it first. Bears current backups. Yes, sir. Josh McCown mm-hmm. from Sam Houston State, right? And Matt Blanchard from Wisconsin Whitewater. So, Brockman just gave me the look of. And now, do you feel the same way? Yes, I do. Yeah, wow. I do. I do. 70 yards from one knee. I'm, I look, do. I, there's only one other comeback that I would personally root is it for a comeback, as much though? as this one. I mean, one? is it a comeback? We sure. don't know. We sure. don't know. We, all we've heard is he's lost weight and he looks better. So, and, you hear, he, and you've heard Garcia say, and I'm, I'm sure he'll say it here again when we speak with him, that he's, he's into talking football now. But he's coming back from being out of the league. That's a comeback. Here's the story Warren Sapp told me, and he's told this before on the air, and I told it in my – I believe it's in my book. I don't know if it is or not, but I'm, I'm going to tell it to you here. Warren Sapp was on the team with the Raiders when Jamarcus was really not doing well. And Jamarcus uh, comes into work one day, and the coaches give him a DVD. Have I told you guys this story before? No, I have not heard Give this. him a DVD. Give him a DVD and say, Jamarcus, we want you to go home tonight and look at this because on this DVD are all the plays and all of the uh, deficiencies that you have shown that we think you need to work on and become a better quarterback. Come back in tomorrow and tell us what you think. Jamarcus comes back in the next day, hands a DVD back to the coaches and says to them, I agree with everything that's on there. I'm going to get better. I promise. Walked away. DVD was blank. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've heard that story. DVD was blank. Now, this is the it's same like a, that's like the Mike, Mike Vick. Vick story yeah. to Jim Mora when Jim Mora said, all those DVDs that I gave you, if I had put a, a, a million dollars in there, wow. there'd still be a million dollars that you haven't touched. He goes, they're probably all in the trunk of my car. Now, again, I... I, I believe people get, deserve to get second chances, and Jamarcus is definitely one of oh, them. And he is not there's one that no you should... There's no question there's one of them. But right now, do I need to talk about Jamarcus Russell? Maybe when there's other teams are going to kick the tires on him, 
Maybe well, if he's come out and and, and I, I don't know. But I this just, is the perfect June story where there's not a lot going on. And you told me, get get in your pop for NFL.com. Well, Go I mean, ahead. It was y- yesterday. Go ahead, you company man. No, it just, it made, you know, it was making some news. It was the number one story on NFL.com yesterday, Jamarcus Russell. And, and I saw on NFL.com today. Oh, the headline writers are clearly, um, clearly um, in in Jamarcus's corner and totally understand his plight. Uh, the 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 story about Jamarcus's comeback headline: Fat chance. Here's fat here, chance. Here's why you take a risk on him. Okay, he, so seventy million dollar contract. He got thirty million guaranteed. He doesn't necessarily need the money yet. They're gonna. You could give him the league minimum. He's, he doesn't even get uh, what the Chris Law. Chris Law. 000. Chris Law. Your quarterback goes down. You want your season in the hands of Jamarcus Russell, who may be looking at you, and he's suddenly Peyton Manning-like in terms of wanting to talk football 24-7, 365. Suddenly, he's the rain man of pigskin. All he wants to do is talk football, and he can tell you the number of X's and O's that dropped on the floor like they're toothpicks. You want to turn your team over to Jamarcus Russell. Yes or no? Well, yes the, or no? The Eagles the, no, are no, loaded no. at No, no, no. This so. is like a Scantron test. You have a pencil in your hand, and you can fill in yes, Y, no, N. Over, what do you fill in? Over Josh McCown. This is Blanchard. a Scantron yes. test. Yes. Yes, I would. No, but no, over Mike Vick, Nick Foles, and, 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 and Matt Barkley. No, but over Matt Blanchard and Josh McCown, absolutely. You want to talk a new face to the uh, Chicago Bears, Rich Eisen? Wow. I don't know. Let's see what Jeff Garcia has to say. Let's just put it that way. And then Sanchez. He's, I mean, he's dealing with why Sanchez. Can't, why can't we root for the kid, though? Like, we wh- can root for him. But, you're making, but it, I, you're making it seem like it's not okay to root for Jamarcus Russell. I, I, why would you say that? Just because I don't want to talk about him on, on, on the podcast? I, I absolutely root for Jamarcus Russell. Go okay. ahead. It's just he had a golden opportunity, a golden opportunity, and, and wasted it. And he understands that he did. I'm sure because I, I saw that that uh, ESPN piece. Yeah, ESPN did that. Corey Kozak, who I worked with for many years, he produced yeah. it. Tom Rinaldi and his piano <laughs> in the background. You know, I mean, I saw that. I saw it, and I, I feel for him. But do I want to take the time? I didn't. You said Garcia should be a good chat. So what? What so we will listen to? It is on me. It is on you. It's on you. Yes, it is. Fair enough. I don't, I don't think it'll go bad. No, it won't go, it mean, won't Jeff's go bad. Jeff's one of the nicest guys. We had him in the studio a few years ago. He's great. Jeff Garcia, everybody. He's on this podcast. Uh, the one story of the week on Monday that everyone was talking about, was it the uh, the Game 7 of the Heat Pacers final that was coming up that night? It was not. Nope. Was it anything that we saw sports-wise this weekend no. at all? No. Nope. The number one story... Not just sports, but also news was what happened in Game of Thrones Sunday night. The Red Wedding. And now the issue is, is how much do we talk about it on this show? So I thought about this. Let's put it this way. I gave this more thought than Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> Priorities. Okay. Priorities. So the question now is, how much do we talk about this? Because there are some who are not all caught up to date like you, Chris Long. Yeah, correct? I've only seen one episode of Game of Thrones. Wow. Sad, sad to say. Brother. Oh, boy. They, they got me grinding here, you know? What can I say? Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> so how much do we talk about it, Chris Brock? We talk about we it. We talk about it. We talk and, about and, it. And, and, and with the caveat of there's spoilers. And we figured who, who better to talk to than uh, John Hine of the Stern Radio Network's 
he is also the creator of Jump the Shark. Uh, in terms of pop culture, he's got his fingers, and certainly television, squarely on the pulse. And he's a Michigan man as which well. Is tri- which has been a trend on this show the past month well, and a half. Is it called the Chris Law Podcast? It's not. Okay. No. That's all I'm saying. It, I mean, it's not. That's the, all I'm saying. Not, you're an integral part of this podcast, Chris. Well, thank you. I mean, you're a crucial Look, cog in the machine. And by, and by the way, we've had full Penn State episodes before. It went me out of town. That is true. Right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yes, when the asylum had uh, an inmate. That's true. At the controls. We've yet to have a full Syracuse podcast, but maybe soon. That could happen. But maybe uh, soon. I'm on vacation first week of July. Great. Go for it. We're gonna, I'm gonna, Please go for I'm it. Get, get to Rico. Get, get into booking. Hey, listen. To Rico. Wow. Get to Rico. Marv. Bob Costas. Sean McDonough. Uh, who, who else is it there? Uh, Ted uh, Koppel. No, no. Is Ted Koppel Syracuse guy? Ted Koppel is. We're we're forgetting uh, Dick Stockton. Dick Stockton as well. Yep. You've already had your. We had we had Siciliano and uh, and and, Hanson. and Hanson. We're getting off the point here, and that is we're going to talk spoilers of Game of Thrones and all sorts of television uh, with John and and Howard Stern. Yeah, who I know uh, you're you're a big yeah, fan of the Stern big show. Fan of the show and he hosts the wrap up show and he, I think he hosts some fast food shows too. Well, and also we'll be honest too. Just this mere construct that we have on this podcast. Um, with me here, you two involved as well, working on the show as well as being on the show. Dan Patrick has done that perfectly with his uh, his Danettes. Yep, that's all from Stern. It's all, yeah. Guy started everything. You know, Imus did some of that too. That's you know, true. I got to mention Don Imus as well. This, despite you know, I know what Stern would say about that, but Stern perfected it, and we're all ripping that off, and um. And it'll be great to just talk with him. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that conversation. And then after all of that, um, a Willie McGinnis, Justin Bieber exclusive. <laughs> yes. Because we had that chat with, with Willie uh, when we were talking Deacon with him earlier in the week. And let's just say him being in Bieber's neighborhood, which he is, right? Yes. I think he lives across the street from him. That's just yeah. across the street from Justin Bieber. He does across from the street from the Bieber Motor Speedway <laughs> in Calabasas, California. Uh, let's just it was it didn't fit the tone of the rest of the podcast that we were putting no. together. So we stopped down. And so we clipped and saved that portion. Yes. Correct. Yes. OK, so we clipped and saved that portion and we'll play that later in the show. Correct. But first, let's get to the man that Chris Law said had to be on the show. No. <laughs> That's not a proper setup. Now we'd love uh, Mooch loves him some Jeff Garcia, loves him because his great years were with Mooch yep. and Marty Morningway, current coach of the uh, OC of of his other uh, project. Yeah, project I, is a good way to put it. I would say Mark, Mark Sanchez. Sanchez. Yeah. So there is lots to talk about with Jeff Garcia, and let's get to it. Now on the phone with a longtime veteran quarterback of the National Football League who is uh, in his post-playing career, uh, started up the Jeff Garcia Football Academy, where he's going to coach your kid up, and uh, if you're lucky, he'll play like Jeff Garcia in the National Football League, and he joins us right now on the Rich Eisen Podcast. How are you, Jeff? Hey, I'm doing good, Rich. Thanks for having me. Anytime, anytime. I saw you at, uh, in San Diego recently at uh, the Skills Headquarters. Uh, Is that part of your football academy? Is that was part of that whole experience there with API and everyone there? It is not, not right now. Okay, Uh, we've I've spoken to API and I've met with people from Skills, but I think they're in a a search and and interview mode right now. But Mm -hmm. I'm here in San Diego. I'm not far from that facility. 
And just to comment on that facility, I mean, beautiful facility. Incredible. Facility. That would be a great place to train uh, kids coming through my academy. But right now I'm not, I'm not locked in with any facilities. So I do my own thing. Cause I mean, you're, I mean, you're starting this business from scratch, right, Jeff? I mean, you're, this is, this is, this is, imagine a very difficult thing that you're attempting to start something. Well, I am starting it from scratch, but I think that when you look at some of the guys that are out there that are training these quarterbacks, working with the quarterbacks at all levels, whether it's the youth in high school, college, or elite level professional athletes. Um, you have guys out there that have been able to build up a brand, build up a business, and my main thing is that I've played the game for a long time. I've been extremely, I feel extremely accomplished, extremely successful, and it took a measure of drive and commitment in order to achieve that. And if I can share that with these young men, whether they're starting out at that top order level or playing, trying to extend a career, or hold on to a career, or make a career better, get their foot back in the door, I feel I can help them in a great way due to the passion, experience, and knowledge that I bring to the table. And in that regard, let's hit Jamarcus Russell. Um, What is the scoop with him as you and I are currently talking? Well, obviously, everybody has heard, as of recently, him going to Chicago for a workout, which I think is a great first step in the right direction just getting on the radar of an NFL team, being able to go into a position, a situation like that, and and show what you have today as far as your physical presence, your mental presence, what you bring to the table, what you could bring to the table if given that opportunity. I think that he's worked extremely hard over the past five months uh, of this year. And, And granted, hey, that's not looking at what has happened over the previous three and a half years when he left the game. But all I can say is that right now he's in a good place in his life. He's created and he's practicing better habits in his life. He's more football ready than he has been in a while. And I think that he's going to go out there to Chicago and he's, I think he's going to turn some, some heads in a positive way. I think that he's going to, he's going to have an impactful workout, whether that leads to a contract or not. That's up to the Chicago Bears. I don't know what their situation is and what sort of room they have on their roster and what they're looking at from a backup position to Cutler, but I see that as being an ideal situation for him to go into a a position where there is a a quarterback, a marquee guy that's already established, that, that knows how to be a pro, that is accomplished, that has been successful on the field. Those are things that would be great for Jamarcus to be able to be a part of, to learn from, to grow from, and continue to climb his way back in if he's given that chance. Well, but you know better than than anyone that in the NFL, uh, any team, no matter how deep you are on defense or other skilled positions uh, or how great your, your, your scouting staff is, your front office is, you lose your starting quarterback, your season is potentially over unless you've got that guy like yourself back in Philadelphia. Uh, in your Philadelphia days, or there's somebody that's sitting there that can take you to the promised land, if there's a young kid like Kaepernick, for instance. And it would be a great leap of faith, and that is an understatement, to take somebody with the track record of Jamarcus Russell and say, I am going to put you in that crucial spot of being the backup 
quarterback in the National Football League. I, to me, that that is a major, it, more than just showing that I've lost weight or I still have zip on the ball, that is as big a challenge for Jamarcus Russell to prove. Would you agree with that? No, I, I definitely agree. I mean, there's a lot more that he has to prove outside of whether he can step on the field and still throw the ball with with the the electricity and excitement that he used to present, whether it was in his pro days coming out of LSU, what he did at LSU, or even in a practice session at Oakland. I mean, you could watch the guy in practice, and he would look like he, he'd be unbelievable. But then what happens when it comes game time? And those are the things, those are the measurables that he has to overcome in the sense of showing and proving that he has a better work ethic, that he's more committed, he has a better drive, that he understands the game, he's willing to put time into trying to understand and grow more mentally with the game. But you're absolutely right. That quarterback position, uh, not a lot of teams have strength at the backup position to that starting quarterback. And, and it's such a critical piece to the team, to the game, to the organization, to the fact that you just never know when that starter could go down. You have to have a guy who's ready and able to lead. Can he be that leader within a locker room? And those were things that were a missing element in Oakland. Those were things that people did not see. They did not see him showcase the abilities that he had showcased in college. And and a lot – go ahead. No, you well, you were there in 2009 in the training camp of prior to what was Jamarcus's last season. So you sort of had a front row seat to an opportunity wasted. And I did. So my question for you is the guy that you saw then and the guy that you see now, how different is he? The guy that I see today is much more more much more mature first of all. Obviously he's older, uh, but he's also understanding that he had something very valuable and now has lost that. He does not have that anymore. To be able to live the dream that he was living, to play the game that he loved playing as a kid, he doesn't have that. He's on the outside looking in. Uh, I think that alone has created a sense of hunger, a sense of urgency within himself to want to do whatever he has to do to get his foot back in the door and not just be satisfied with getting his foot back in the door but blowing that door open. And that's the mentality that he has to have. And I hope that that is the mentality that he saw in the three months that he spent with me down here in San Diego in working with him on those sides, on that side of the game, the mental side of the game, the passionate side of the game, the fire that has to be burning within yourself in order to go out there and achieve greatness. You can't just rely on your God-given abilities to show up on the field and and think that it's all going to fall into place. Everybody at this level has God-given abilities, but the guys who work at it, who grind, who are in the weight room, who are in the classroom, who are doing all the little things to the best of their abilities, those are the guys that separate themselves and create longevity. He has to get to that point. I think he's very capable, but I also think that he need to be sh- he need to be shown the way in a sense, and he needs to be able to surround himself with better people that are going to help bring out the best in him as much as he's going to bring out the best in others. So the last question is, do you think he's got that right now? Do you think he could be in the NFL in 2013, if you if you were in a front office, you'd 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 roll the dice on Jamarcus. I would because you look at the kid as the former first pick in the 2007 NFL draft, 
And if the Oakland Raiders wouldn't have taken him, then another team would have taken him within that first round. He has not lost that physical ability, and I think that he has matured over the years. He's in a better place of understanding how important it is to approach it as a true professional. And I do believe at 27, 28 years old, he's still a young man. He's just getting into a a point in his life where it really could be the prime of his life. He's better than a lot of these college kids that are getting opportunities to be backups with NFL football teams. So in that sense, I would definitely hand him a base minimum salary and tell him he's, hey, earn your way. Come and show me what you're made of and see if you are anywhere close to that guy that people are willing to to use a first-round draft pick over. Let's move to Sanchez, uh, another one of your uh, pupils, um, to use that phrase. Uh, What do you think happened to him? over the last two years, Jeff. He has clearly regressed. There's no there's no other way to put it. And he was 100% spooked by Tim Tebow's presence. As you said you, just recently, the Jets should have released Tebow even sooner to get that specter away from Sanchez. Uh, what, what has happened to him where he is mentally and physically fragile? Or has he always been that way and the defense and running game just hit it from view? Yeah, I think that you know, I, I think, first of all, Mark possesses the skill set to be a quality NFL quarterback. And, and at a young age in the NFL, uh, proven to be, proved to be a leader on a football team. Now, granted, maybe there were other aspects of that team that really helped that team achieve the greatness. But I think that what Mark did was he managed the game better. And under uh, the direction of the offensive coordinator that he had for the first couple years there in, in New York, he probably found a comfort zone. Going into last year, I don't think that there was ever a comfortable place for him mentally and physically in leading that team from an offensive standpoint. When you look at the entire offense, the entire team, there were, there were multiple problems within that team granted it's always going to come back to the quarterback and as a quarterback you need to find ways to rise above and beyond not always easiest at the highest of levels especially when you're playing a new england patriot team twice a year and and the rest of the talented teams throughout the league you have to really be clicking on all cylinders when you look at the team last year i don't think they ever really put on put the same group of receivers on the field in, in back-to-back weeks, offensive line struggled. They didn't really have a running game. They were under Tony Sperano, offensive coordinator, who was in his first term as the OC there, so they were learning a new system. I think there were multiple issues, but again, it comes back to Mark and, and, and finding a way to rise above that. I think that at one point or at some point, uh, because of maybe the situation, Tim Tebow being there, uh, there was dissension within the locker room. There really wasn't a guy that the team could look at as their true leader at that position. And I think that was created somewhat within the organization. It wasn't so much upon Mark and it wasn't so much upon Tim, but it was the the culture that was created there. And, and that, I think, uh, was an unfortunate thing for all of them. I think what he has now, though, Marty Morningwig, a great offensive coordinator, a great mind, a guy who's going to coach up the position in, in a great way. He's always been able to create 
successful uh, offensive outcomes, production. I think that with what I was able to share with Mark and just helping him to speak the language, to go over uh, what would be somewhat of a playbook of plays that they would be looking at running this year just from my experience and being with Marty in Philadelphia and in San Francisco, it's much the same thing that I had already gone through throughout my career. So I was able to share that sort of terminology, offensive uh, schemes, uh, just reads, progressions, all those things that are necessary for a quarterback to go out on the field, step on the field with confidence. He has plenty of physical ability. It's the mental state of mind. Where is he right now? Is he going to continue to be fragile, or is he going to rise above that? Is he going to stop listening to what everybody else is saying and block that all out and just focus on what he needs to do? That's what he needs to do. He needs to focus on his job. That's all he can control. Go out and do it to the best of your abilities. And if you do it the right way, everything else is going to fall into place. Well, here's the problem in that regard, Jeff, is last year, even if you were behind the scenes and you saw how Tebow was practicing and he hardly got any chances, I mean, Sanchez should have known that there's no chance this guy's going to take my job because the way he practices, he doesn't even get a chance. The, 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 the number of times that they even put him in the game to just basically run into the tackle, run into his guard, um, and, and, and he let it bother him. And now here comes a guy who they trade, who they who they choose in the second round of the draft, who everyone says you know has the skill set to have been the number one overall pick. How is he going to handle that if he couldn't handle Tebow? How is he going to handle Geno Smith, Jeff? That's the issue here moving yeah, forward. Well, I, I think there's definitely got to be. Hey, you have to learn from the situation that you went through last year. You have to really put that behind you. You can't continue to uh, to look back and focus on what you didn't do last year, how you didn't take advantage of an opportunity, how you let certain things get under your skin or bother. You can't be worried or preoccupied with that. You have a task to handle right now. You have new competition, and maybe the best thing for them is that, hey, nothing's guaranteed right now. There is not an exact starter. You need to go out there and earn it, and and that might be the best thing for him to light that fire under his tail to say, I better go out and I better make better decisions. I better play better. I better study more. I better be a better teammate. I better do whatever I need to do in order to prove that I can lead this team and lead this team to a lot of victories. And if you can't do that, well, then you shouldn't be the starting quarterback of an NFL team. That's just the, 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 the plain and simple of it. So is this the sort of real talk you gave Sanchez How to, to his face? Well, I mean, these are these are conversations that we definitely have had, and and I think in how I coach the position, I not not only am able to talk the talk, but I I can walk the walk, and I still put the cleats on, I still get out on the field, and I still show them exactly how they need to approach every single day, and I think that fire that's burning inside of me, that passion that I carry and live my life with. That needs to carry over. They need to find that themselves because if you don't have that, if you don't have that expectation to be the best every single time you step on the field, then why are you doing this? And who is going to believe in you if you don't bring that? And if he doesn't understand that, doesn't get that, then somebody else is going to take that position from it. 
The question is, is how does he handle the first moment one of his green receivers slips and the ball hits the breadbasket of, say, someone like Darrell Rivas in front of the home folks? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Look, hey, I, I get it, and I've been there. Yeah. I've been there in, in positions, situations, and, and it's not an easy thing to do. And, and it all comes back down to, hey, we're, we're human. You know, we aren't robots. We do have... Uh, human reactions and emotions and all those things and and granted that's not an easy thing to overcome but uh, the best you can do is is go out there and and continue to try to be the best that you can be there's not really an easy answer for that one because of the difficulty you being a New York guy yourself you understand uh, what it means to those fans and 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 just what they believe in and you know it, it's going to be important mark has to prove to them that he's capable of handling this and if he can't do that in his own approach and his own just vision and how he's determined to do it then he's never going to win them over and that that that's that's a difficult thing to do but hey it'd be a great thing if he can turn the tide and make it happen. That would be one of the stories of the year. Uh, as would, by the way, Jamarcus Russell making an NFL NFL team and and contributing. That would Absolutely. be a story. That would be – these are two st- – I mean, we're, we're currently in the laboratory of what could be stories of the year. But, Shoot, you know, and then, hey, Jeff Garcia, 43 year, years old, he's back in the game. Man. Yeah. Shoot, hey. You want a great quarterback, backup, whatever you need? Hey, just call me up. Are you man. serious? You, are you? Are you? You would? You'd? You'd want to play in the NFL at age forty three? I don't know if my wife will let me, but <laughs> I know I still got plenty of talent and fire burning inside of me to go out and make it happen. <laughs> I, I love it, Jeff. So somebody, if you're you're available, yeah, I, not I'll only to coach, the, I'll go to the Oakland Raiders right now and start for them. You sure about that? Look at, look at Yarmir Yager last night. Yeah, Yarmir Yager has been on the. I know on the. Uh, on the but you're, you know, Jeff. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, it, it's fun to talk with you about all of this stuff and and hear what you're saying. Um, I'm sure you understand. There's going to be a lot of people who hear this last question for you that hear about Jamarcus Russell turning a corner, maybe, and Mark Sanchez having the fortitude to turn that corner in the cauldron that's New York City and be very skeptical about both of these things. I'm sure you understand that. Sure, absolutely. And and I think, you know, the main thing for me is that I'm a believer in people. I try to see the best in people. I try to bring out the best in people. And if I can help a young man better himself and be more encouraged and light that fire under him to, to bring out the best in him and give him that chance, that that's all I can do. I can't really do anything more. I can't present a contract in front of Jamarcus. I can't uh, help I can't sit there and, and, and be in Mark's ear and help him make better decisions on the field. They need to take it from there. But I believe that they have the skill set, the mental ability to grasp what they need to grasp and go out there and be successful. Now it's a matter of them just going out there and do it. Whether they can achieve it or not, that's, that's, that's up to them. And, um, you know, my whole thing here is that I've been able to get to know these guys, been able to get to know them as people and and i like them as people and i just want to see the best happen for them last question for i know i sort of lied i do have one last question for you because the whole rg3 scenario that donovan mcnab mentioned how his dad uh, rg3's dad shouldn't be talking about 
that that he wants uh, his son to pass more instead of run more, and that RG three most certainly should not be doing things that he did on say Thursday, which is have press conferences after OTAs talking about how far uh, down the line he is in terms of his rehab. He said on Thursday that without a doubt he will be ready for day one of training camp. Forget week one of the season, training camp. And McNabb thinks that he is setting himself up for a fall in the cauldron again, use that word, of the NFC East, like a town like Washington, saying if he does not perform up to those standards, then suddenly everyone's going to be critical of him where he could just be quiet and do go about his business. Where do you stand on all that, Jeff? Well, I think when you speak to RG3 and, and a lot of these guys, and I've always been that guy as well, brutally honest and probably at times say more than I should say, you know, but it's it's also trying to be a people pleaser I know that RG3 wants nothing more to, than to, to, to present the most positive, uh, most optimistic situation for himself in being able to return and be the guy that he was last year. And, and it's hard to avoid answering questions from the media. And, and it's hard to just stay quiet. And it's hard to uh, give minimal answers. And and it's just when you when you start to speak to people who are charismatic, who 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 are open to conversation, and, and a guy like RG three who who people love and, and and really gravitate to, you know, he's going to speak in a way that that is going to present the most positive situations, and and he believes that he believes that he can make it happen. Hopefully, it all comes to fruition, and, and nobody's going to know, but through time. In, in what actually does happen. But it, again, it, it's, it's being optimistic. It's, it's trying to answer questions. And like, like Donovan said, it's not always easy to just plead the fifth and walk away and, and not say anything. I mean, he can say that now that he's on the outside looking in and being away from the game, but I'm sure even himself wasn't, it wasn't always easy to walk away from the questions that were being asked. Yeah, well, he's just saying he shouldn't even say yes to being made available to the media. He should just stay behind the scenes. Just don't say yes to saying I'll speak after OTAs, that I'll see you in training camp. Yeah, well, again, easier said than done. And maybe that's something for his his team of people there with the Redskins to to basically – answer those things for him and just never put him in that position. But again, when you're a people pleaser, when you want to uh, adhere to what is being asked and, and, and that sort of responsibility as a leader for your team, it's hard to just stay away from the public side. I guess it's maybe just, if you spend that much time in Philadelphia, it takes the people pleasing side out of you. Well, that, that, that can happen, too. But when you take it like I did in Philadelphia, then you love getting in front of those That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Jeff, thanks for joining. I appreciate it. You can uh, go to jeffgarciafootball.com to learn more about the Football Academy. Follow uh, Jeff on Twitter at jeffgarciafa. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You, you take bet. care, Rich. You got it. That's Jeff Garcia on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Excellent conversation, Chris Law. Thank you. I, I, I will take uh, well, well, We have to thank Rose Garcia as well yes. for helping well, uh, set that up. No relation. No, 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 no relation. Yeah. Of, of NFL Network booking staff. Um, but, you know, he's not going to sit there and criticize Jamarcus and or Sanchez. And he, he basically was saying, 
he thinks that they 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 will do well in the NFL. Certainly, if one gets the chance or the other one, you know, well, Sanchez is going to get the chance. Let's be honest here; he's not going to he's not going to lose out to Geno Smith unless Geno Smith is somehow, some way, the second coming of Russell Wilson, where he's going to just come into training camp after being in the film room every single like a film rat, which is what Russell Wilson was. They had to kick his behind out of the film room sometimes in Seattle at this point last year. June, May, April, all he did was watch film. And then he owned it. He walked in like he was going to own it, then he owned it, and then turned into Russell Wilson. Having spent no time around Geno Smith, I just don't get that vibe from him. I don't know. And part He's got a chip part, on his shoulder. Well, the issue is also with him, the reason why you don't get that vibe, even though he may be. He may just be. You sure. never know. Sure. It's this whole Jay-Z rock nation thing. Right. That That's he's going to spend even an iota of his time. Not helping him. Saying that, okay, I'm going to now fire my old agents and bring in some new guys. And this is coming from a guy, I think I've had five agents in my career. How many times have you thrown the rock up, Rich? <laughs> what do you mean? He has, he has no, no idea. Exactly. Are we, are, are we talking about hoops? No idea what that is. Uh, it's Jay-Z's symbol. Larry Johnson used to do it way back oh. in the day. Yeah, you know, when throw you throw it up. the, the, the oh. diamond. It's like the diamond cutter. He actually stole it from a diamond, D- diamond D- Dallas page. DDP. Uh, yeah. So the answer to your question is never. never. I've never thrown the rock up. Got it. Yeah. But, I mean, people think, like, the the fact that he he's going to get a uh, an entertainment mogul as his Rip. agent, it's like, you know, you're supposed to throw the touchdowns first, first. then accept the offers that will come in. So a lot of people think that he's already focused on that. That may be unfair, but I don't know. I just think this, that Sanchez has had enough time on this roster and enough time in the NFL that if it is a true competition, he's got to beat somebody who's fresh off the campus of West Virginia who, who, he's been who a didn't do very starter. well against your alma mater, all due respect, in the pinstripe bowl, okay? So it was snowing that day, and, you it, never and they know. only played in New York, Rich. Correct. You never know, but I think Sanchez is going to beat him out. So he just basically said he's led these horses to water. Whether they drink or not is up to Well, do you make anything out of Rex not naming a starter or wanting to? There's no way he can do that because the problem with Sanchez for the past several years is people think they just handed him the gig. To begin with. They traded all the way up and handed him the gig. Out of USC. He didn't have to beat out anybody. And you remember the whole thing when they got Mark Brunel to come in here, and they even gave him snaps one week, and that woke Sanchez up and lit a fire under him? Please. This is a guy who was telling him to get a binder, right, during the hard knocks. Like, where's your binder? They brought him in to basically show him how to be organized. This guy's in his third year of the NFL. He doesn't even have a binder. It's like, what are you going to do? Like, I got the other – somebody was bitching at me that I didn't use my calendar and my iPhone, which I don't. <laughs> you don't put. How do meeting- you understand? How you, I'm 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 sort of binderless when it comes to. So a couple things do slip through the cracks because I don't have the calendar. I'm not, I'm not a mean, calendar guy. You're lucky you can I turn that thing on. <laughs> well, I'm somewhere in between using a calendar and actually finding an on and off button. I mean, I'm not <laughs> right, that bad. Right. You know that. I know. I know. But I did need your help to to Photoshop my avatar <laughs> yes, right. that I sent on to Aaron Andrews nice. when Michigan crushed the Florida Gators in the NCAA tournament. The Elite Eight. But, you know, they cannot go ahead and name Sanchez a starter now. They can't do that because they finally do. They do have somebody, as I mentioned to Garcia before, if Tebow was 
stinking up the joint in practice like he always has done, Sanchez has got to look at him and say, this guy's not going to be the quarterback of the New York Jets. What do I have to worry about? And instead, Geno Smith, that's a different story. Unless he does see Geno Smith stink, stink up the joint in OTAs or whatever. I, again, I, there's no way they can name a starter out of him right now. There's just no chance. Are they they gonna have go- to, they're going to go into the training camp, okay. and they're going to go into training camp and have a battle there, and Sanchez is going to start week one of the preseason. He will be your starting quarterback week will one of the preseason. Will he name a starter? Or no will it just way. Be- let him do that, and you'll see what Geno Smith does. And if Geno Smith does well... The Jets will be over the moon because now they really do have something to lie to fire under Sanchez, who they will no question start week one of the season. No question about it. There's no doubt. We're going to send Geno Smith in a week one of the season, unless he shows Russell Wilson-type capabilities. There's no, I mean, especially when you've got a coach who's got 16 games left in his contract. Right, he's playing for his own self. It's true. And, and, and it will show you that Geno Smith is not ready if Sanchez, the man who butt-fumbled his way out of Ryan's lineup last year, is the guy who they, he chooses to go into battle with with 16 games left in his head coaching contract with the Jets. Well, so back to the Jamarcus Russell, though. Brockman and I were kind of on the on the – Believer side of that, if you will, you were skeptical after listening to what Jeff had to say. I still don't do you know. Think he lands with the team? Or no, no, I no, I don't. Because again, don't. I, I he, he he, you know, it sounded like he had him for three months and he hasn't had him since. And he sent him off to the to to the Bears, who are going to kick the tires on him, and maybe some other teams do. And I hope they do. And I hope Jamarcus Russell gets a job. And I hope he becomes a great quarterback in this league. That'd be a great story. And it's something that we're all looking for as a comeback. Absolutely. But right now, I just don't see it. But I haven't seen him yet. So this is just my knee-jerk reaction sitting here in Culver City, California. <laughs> um, and, and how about him? He, he sounded Jeff George-like, saying that he could go into the Raiders right now kick all the quarterbacks' asses and be the starting quarterback of the Raiders. he almost announced a comeback on the There's show. no question he was serious. Uh, when was the last time he played? Um, let me look it up. 2009. He was with the Raiders, didn't play for them, and then in 2011 the Texans asked him into camp and he didn't make the team. Okay. So the, with the with the Eagles in 09 was the last right. time that's he right. played in the NFL. Okay. Uh, he, played in, he played in the UFL in 2010. Oh, yeah, that's the, right. The Omaha Night Action. When he was in here about a year and a half ago, he was talk. He talked off camera to us, and he, he was saying he was he could still play. He we had shoot. Jeff George on Total Access like two years after he left, three years after he left, and he he was like, I don't understand. He said on television, I don't understand why I'm not in a camp, why I'm not on a roster. He he still could play. He's and a coach and, now, right? Garcia is the same thing. He's just second coming of Jeff George. He's still in. He totally shape. wants another shot. <laughs> Well, at any rate, that's Jeff Garcia. Thank you for arranging that, Chris. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I thought that. that was great. Let's turn the gears right now. Let's talk some television. Game of Thrones was unbelievable. I mean, I'm still I'm you still. You don't really... see... Do you see the Gawker uh, mashup of, of people who have read the books of Game of Thrones? Film their friends. Film their friends before the wed- as the Red Wedding was unfolding, knowing that they'd freak out. Freak out. And, and enough people did that YouTube, that they mashed it up. The YouTube sensation It's right sort now. of like that, sen- for the lack of a better analogy, you remember when Landon Donovan scored that huge goal in the And then everyone's reaction. Everyone, and, yeah. and, and, and they put a mashup together. Yeah. That. This yep. is similar. It's just people losing their minds. Losing it. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I almost went somewhere and else with that. But. We were the same thing. I went. I, Susie and I watched it, and we just like. Did you watch it on DVR? Or did you watch HBO it? Go? 
HBO Go. So I watched it really late Sunday night, so it was like two in the morning, and I'm just freaking out alone. Well, that's why I bitched about it. I'm stupidly waiting for Susie to get you know get ready to watch the show. I stupidly got on Twitter and I saw a couple things, and that's why I'm like, if there's anybody out there, why why would you assume that I'm watching I it s- on the same time as right. you? I saw exactly. you like scream like an old man on the porch I- screaming at the kids to get off my Twitter lawn. <laughs> now here I am about to spoil stuff. Well, I I, I stayed it's off. Okay. I stayed off of it, knowing that something probably was going to happen, and someone texted me if I had watched it, and I said no, not yet, and then just ignored my phone. Didn't Aaron Rodgers tweet out a, uh, a, a spoiler? I think so. Yeah, people were complaining at him, and he has like I guess. 24-hour rule. Hey, it's after 24 hours, it's on you. I guess that's true. But uh, let's talk about it all with our next guest. As promised, now let's talk television, let's talk pop culture, let's talk about it all with a man who you enjoy um, on the wrap-up show uh, on the Howard Stern uh, Radio Network on Sirius Radio. He's also the creator of JumpTheShark.com and also, fittingly, a University of Michigan graduate. Of course he is. Please welcome John Hine to the program. How are you, John? Great, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, in in the pop culture landscape this week, what happened with Game of Thrones on this past Sunday night, and the shock value that brought it to talking about it on like the Today Show and other outlets were, that never talk pop culture television that way. Where do you rank what we just saw in the pantheon of television? John. Oh, it's top five easily. And you know what? Another one in the top five is Ned Stark from season one. Yep. And I heard you and uh, and Chris and both Chris is talking about you know the, penul- the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. That's when you know something's going to go down. And last season it was the, ba- the Battle of the Blackwater. First season it was Ned Stark, and this season the Red Wedding. I mean, I you take out your two of your lead characters. In such a cool way, <laughs> I, I mean, it just makes you love the show even more, and and that's why I think Game of Thrones is such exceptional television. No one is safe, and you just don't, right when you think everything is going to be okay, look out for the sword, you know, because it's coming. And I would never go to a wedding <laughs> if I lived anywhere in Westeros, because it's just not a good thing. It's not a good thing at all. Uh, I tweeted out uh, that, that they were they were uh, registered at uh, Bed, Bloodbath, and Beyond, <laughs> and I got some great responses. Did you see, Chris? I saw I saw some of the responses. Here, here. One of them was Target. Target, obvi- obviously. obviously. <laughs> Target was good. They were registered at Target. Another I one like was... Well, here's, here's my other two favorites that I got back. I got... Um, Target was one of them. I got Slaughtery Barn. Yeah. <laughs> Slaughtery Barn. Nice. Slaughtery Barn was one. And, uh, oh, gosh, which one was the other one that I'm uh, – it, 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 and, and that's the part about this that, that's truly remarkable, uh, John, is that when you take a look at um, this show and, I, I mean, the crossover viewership in a way, Waldermart was the other one. <laughs> And where, by, where, by the way, uh, returns are not accepted. You can't even get store credit at Waldermart when you come back to the store. I mean, Walter Frey, what an OG move that wow. was. Wow. But, I mean, you take a look at it. I'm not a fantasy guy, 
right? I mean, when I played Dungeons and Dragons in high school, I did. I was like one and done with the twenty sided die and right. the chain mail and all of that stuff. Fantasy only extends to fantasy football and baseball for me, right? But right. but John, I am into this thing unlike any other show, and I'm wondering why why is that? I mean, is is it because of the writing, the acting, where people like me can get into this genre that ordinarily I wouldn't spend more than an hour on? Certainly, reading a book, even though I'm told these books are incredible. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you. I when I started watching the first season, I realized this was something exceptional. And I was like, I got to read the books. So I read all the books. So which hasn't ruined a thing for me. Is I that mean, right? Because I mean, if yeah. you knew the red wedding was coming, I didn't I did. see it coming. I knew the red wedding was coming, and I'm so tempted to just. You know, write RW on a tweet and just let people, you know, put it out there a couple weeks ago. But it's one of those things. It reminded me a lot of The Sixth Sense, spoiler alert. If you don't know what happened in Sixth Sense, you watch the movie, you didn't tell anyone because you wanted everyone to experience it for themselves. That's what Game of Thrones is. Like, you want everyone to get so caught up in the writing, in the acting. It's shot beautifully. But the key to it all, I really feel, is you just don't know what's going to happen. You can try and predict it left and right, and you, you don't know. I mean, in the next episode, and I don't know what happens, so I'll say that up front, I mean, the whole Lannister family can get wiped out, and it wouldn't surprise you at all. But the other strange thing about this fantasy is that it seems to be grounded in some kind of historical realism. Now, I'm saying that with flying dragons and everything <laughs> else, but you feel like you're, you're watching this chapter of history unfold, and the sympathetic characters become hardened, and the hardened ones become sympathetic, and it's one great performance after another. I mean, with the Lannisters alone, you had Tyrion, where, um, you know, the, the Emmy deservedly went to Peter, uh, Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. But you've got Tywin now, who, you know, what his an father, SLP. who's just as good, if not better. You've got Joffrey, who everybody wants to kill. Yes. You've got Jamie, who was a complete jerk in the first season, and now all of a sudden you're getting sympathetic for without his hand. And you've got Cersei, who, you know, Evil. who has the greatest bitchy lines in the world. <laughs> and she throws, you know, she throws those daggers like there's no tomorrow. And that's just one of the many families, and I feel like you get caught up in the world, and you appreciate quality television, and I can't wait for the next episode, I can't wait for the next couple of seasons, and it's translated into roughly six million viewers. A show like this, you expect to get a million, million on HBO, too. Well, I think it's the most watched HBO show of all time, beating out True Blood, which returns for its final season next week. And uh, hopefully we're going to get Joe Manganiello, our, our friend of the program, big Steeler fan, back on this show. Uh, but HBO, I mean, if you think about it, you think about The Sopranos, The Wire, all of these great shows that, that were on. Certainly Entourage. Entourage. But Entourage, you know, was, was great in its own right. It never captured a zeitgeist like Game of Thrones has just done. And the last show that did that, even though I do love Boardwalk Empire, I'm not really a True Blood guy in terms of watching it every single week. The Sopranos, John, when, when, it, when there was a big moment, a big character that got whacked, that's the last time I think there was a television program that was quite like this. Am I wrong? And even including Breaking Bad in this whole mix. Well, 
Well, Breaking Bad is another show, Mad Men. These excellent shows on AMC, they don't get much of an audience. They get two, three million. The exception to that rule is The Walking Dead. And I would say that might have captured the zeitgeist because, I mean, nine, ten million people are watching yes, that show. right. But you're right about The Sopranos. You know, when, you know, X or Y got whacked, the next day it was, I can't believe they did that, and, and everyone was all caught up in it. I'm still upset about whoever unplugged my cable at the end of the series. That will be nuts for, you know, 10 minutes. Hey, John, I, I, had a, I had a whole bunch of people at my house for that. And when that happened at the end of The Sopranos, everybody looked at me in the room like I didn't pay the direct TV bill. And I'm like, dude, everybody back off. It's not me. I don't know what's happening. It's HBO. It's not, it's not me. It's HBO. Well, could you imagine if David Chase's original plan was to have it go black for like 30 seconds? Well, long, no longer, right? I thought it was longer. I thought he wanted like, like two minutes yeah, but or it, something. It only crazy ended like up that. being what, like 10 seconds? What's or the six story with that, John? Do you know? Well, for yeah, first of all, it seemed like five minutes, even though it was about 15 seconds. Right. But he was going to go black, no credits, nothing for two minutes. Mm -hmm. That was his plan Incredible. originally. And like me, I'm watching in bed. I see it ends. I'm like, my I thought my cable went out. I went downstairs. I checked that TV. I ran all over my house. I'm freaking out because I've invested so much time in this. You know, that can't be the ending, right? And then, sure enough, it was the ending. But... It, it gets back to HBO doing television the way you want it to be done. I mean, they they don't assume that their audience is a bunch of dummies. They sort of respect the audience, and they'll take chances. And because it's a subscriber-based medium versus a ratings-based medium, they're, they're, uh, they have the ability to do that. But things like Thrones and, and Sopranos, and I said AMC before, Mad Men, Breaking Bad... All this fantastic TV, I would I would argue that it rivals movies these days. I mean, well, there's no doubt. Real, you know, your great drama. I think you're tuning in on Sunday night and watching uh, any of these shows, and and you're more more than pleased. Well, if you if you hear uh, another guest, a friend of this program, uh, the Bituation, Steven Soderbergh talk, oh. and there was a big, huge speech that he made at a film festival in San Francisco recently, sort of his exit. Uh, his his exit speech of his filmmaking career. Um, I, I think he, when he says that television is a better medium in which to explore character and than, than movies is, period, end of story. That just the way that movies are made, the way that, that, that movie studios want movies to get made and distributed, you ha th that television is a better opportunity to tell a story and to give characters nuance as opposed to movies. Yeah, first of all, I listened to that last podcast he was on, and I hope he still does screenplay. I mean, I love his films, so I really hope he still I don't know. I think, I think in terms of feature films, the, the behind the candelabra, or as Jimmy Kimmel called it in his, uh, in his tweet, <laughs> candelabra in the behind, um, that I think that may be one of the last ones you see for a while. Television might be a different story. TV wow. might be a what? different story. And I would see yeah, any television show that he wants to do no question. sort of Fincher at what Fincher's doing with with uh, with House, House of, of Cards. Cards, I think, is something that, you know, uh, if Soder Soderbergh wants to do anything like that, who, who wouldn't want to let him do that, right? I, I agree. I mean, you know, call the candelabra whatever you'd like. <laughs> it was the incredible. Behind, uh, the behinds before it. What a great film and I, i'm not calling that a tv show that's a film yeah. well, it's a and film it's distributed as a film in europe here in the united states it's, it's on hbo 
I mean, so, Michael Douglas, Matt Damon, Aykroyd. Rob Lowe. Uh, Debbie, Rob Lowe. Debbie Reynolds is the mom. I mean, everybody was so good. And that's a great thing to talk about because with Liberace, it's so easy to make that just a caricature and go over the top and, you know, really play into his flamboyance. And, and Soderbergh did that, but he did it in such a great way where Michael Douglas wasn't camp at all nope. in the entire piece. And that's what made it work so well. The only knock I have on Candelabra is that it made me wait an extra week for the Red Wedding. On that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I mean, the fact that it, it did the best numbers that HBO has seen for a film, an original film in 10 years, and the fact that they got people to watch it, because how many people do you think tuned in expecting a Game of Thrones? Absolutely. Right? And then we're, and we're all pissed off. And the HBO switchboard probably lit up a little bit Sunday night at 9 Eastern that night yeah. and Where's what a great film. where's the hound that's I get it. <laughs> well i know we're talking all this hbo stuff you have to show throw showtime in the mix here right now right because homeland is as good as any of the shows that we've mentioned in the last yeah. 15 minutes and Home, homeland really came in under the radar the first season that you know got a bunch of word of mouth and by the end of the first season people were like this is i mean it won the emmy for acting and for uh for uh, the show itself and then season two People were like, you know, what's Abu, what's Abu Nazir doing at a gas station? This is getting a little ridiculous. I don't know. But by the end of season two, let me tell you, they were right back to where they started with yeah, season cause one. Yeah, because I think they struggled a bit, in my mind, with, with, with the idea in the first season, we all were wondering who... Uh, why am I blanking? See now I'm Brody. Yeah, Brody, Sergeant Brody. We're all we're all sitting there wondering who Sergeant Brody really is, right? So we're we're sitting in the shoes of the CIA trying to figure him out. Season two, we knew who he was, and we're now sitting in the shoes of him trying to figure out what Abu Nazir is up to, and that changed the dynamic of the show a little bit. And then when at the very end of season two. They got. I don't want to give away too much of a spoiler. They got back into the season one mode, and in season two, it just became so, in in certain ways, formulaic, like twenty four esque. Yeah. Right. Where too much of Brody's daughter, in the same way, we didn't want to see Jack Bauer's daughter at all, despite oh, we how see despite, just, just, despite how great Eliza Cuthbert is, right? <laughs> to look at. Yeah. But Brody's daughter, I wanted I really wanted Abu Nazir to take her ass out. You didn't want to see and Brody's daughter fight, fight a mountain lion? I like would love Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there wasn't exactly the mountain lion, but I thought that 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 Homeland struggled a bit that we were sitting in like I said the shoes of everybody, the CIA, everybody trying to guess what Brody was going to do. And now we knew what Brody was up to in season 2. And uh, they struggled with that. I, I think you're dead on. I think, you know, it's not a coincidence that the folks who created 24 are the ones who created Homeland. Yep. And as the second season I went on, I was like, please, you don't need the 24 stuff in here. And when they had that, you know, little car accident, when, you know, they ran over someone and it ended up having very little to do with the overall story, it's like, you don't need that. Just give me Brody. Give me Carrie. Give me Mandy Patinkin you know, and F. Murray Abraham all day long and just build on that drama. And I think they were trying to find their way all throughout the season. But by the end, 
and it, we don't want to spoil it for folks who haven't seen it, but by the end, I think they definitely got on track, but it took a while to get there. And it's tempting to sort of play up these peripheral characters and give them more. I mean, look, in the first season of Homeland, the daughter was very meaningful by the end. I mean, she's the one who, who talked Brody into not pushing that button. Correct. Right. Okay. And, and that she sniffed him out, and that was as, as something amiss, and that was big. But, you know, covering her tracks for something she did with the vice president's son, I mean, that's a different ball of wax. You know what I yeah. mean? In the second, the second season, it was, it was sort of, it was, it was sort of like uh, in Friday Night Lights when Landry got in trouble with the law. Right. Oh, that was the start of the second season. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that like that almost made me stop awful. watching that show. Right. right. You know what God, I mean? I like did. it didn't ring true with the rest of what was going on in the series. And he was like shacking up with Tyra and they had this weird thing it going was, on. That, it, just, that, that was when, dare I say, certainly with you on the phone, there, there was a little bit of shark jumping there, John. I mean, there was like we were, we were, we were the sh- let's put it this way. The shark was circling in the waters and thankfully... <laughs> You know, they didn't get on on uh, on the motorcycle. Yeah, but, yeah, but didn't uh, Peter Berg come on the show a couple of years ago and say that the studio kind of influenced that decision? Uh, he definitely inferred that. Let's put it this way. Yeah. You know, yeah. looking back on that show, it's clear that someone gave a note at base. And I don't know this. I'm, I'm surmising it. Somebody powerful at that at NBC gave a note and said, if this show is going to stay on, we need Landry. We need X, Y and Z. And they followed suit and they did it. And a lot of people who loved that show were like, what show am I watching? This is really pissing me off. But once they got through that, they were able to steer the ship into, I mean, not only a great show, but one of the best finales I think yeah. you're ever going to see that on was, the network. You're right. He did say that on um, Peter Berg when he came on. He did say that the network wanted a, a, a murder, th- like they needed something dram- dramatic to happen, and it just so wasn't the characters. Just thank God that Ben Silverman saved that show, essentially. Yeah. You know, Ben Silverman was... The showrunner, right? No, no, no. He was in charge of NBC at the time, right. and they, he basically made a deal with DirecTV That's right. where they could share the costs... Yeah. And I believe if DirecTV had first run of it, and then NBC would run it like a few months, months later. on the last two seasons. Yes, but without seasons. that, th- th- that thing would have been two and done, yeah. Friday Night Lights. But that's also what's so exciting about the climate of television right now. The creators are sort of, and the writers are, are in a way, holding the cards. Like, you look at, you mentioned before, House of Cards. But even take Louie on FX. I mean, Louie doesn't get a lot of money to do that show. But he has full creative control. And FX said to him, okay. And they haven't given him a note. His, and, uh, his interview on know, Howard Stern with you guys was incredible. Louis, yeah, oh, that yeah, was one of the he, best ones. He, he's really, I mean, my boss is an exceptional guy also. But, but Louis is just, you know, Howard was like, Louis, well, what, you deserve to be paid so much more. And he's like, I don't, I'd rather have the full creative control. And look at the end product you get. I mean, Louis is just, it's, it's a comedy like you're never going to see. And if it's that, or if it's House of Cards, or if uh, even the Arrested Development, I heard you talking with Jason Bateman the other week, you know, showing up on, Na- on Netflix, 15 episodes. Who in the world would ever thought you'd see that show again? And it's good news for all of us who love TV so much. Your boss is one of the best interviewers ever. In the history of the medium, and I'm not just saying that because you're on here right now, he doesn't get he doesn't get nearly enough credit for his interviewing skills because you know some of the questions deal with topics that you never hear anywhere else. Uh, but Howard Stern 
is top five in terms of I would put him up there with Carson, Charlie Rose. I, He's I really not a would, big Carson fan either. So. Oh, uh, no, 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 I, no, no, Johnny Carson. No, I know that's what I'm saying. Uh, I thought you were. No, 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 I'm saying. Johnny I would. Carson, I really. I really. Like, how I, I. John, I really would put him up there with that. Chris, did you think he was referring to Harry Carson? No, no, or, no, no yeah, I think exactly. Carson Daly. I, I thought he, he might. Have, yeah, Daly? yeah, no. Well, you know, there's there's a there's an age gap between Chris Law and me. <laughs> you know, not too large because I I don't want to make myself sound too old. But no, seriously, how, Howard is one of the all time greats. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anyone. That, uh, obviously, I'm biased. I, you know, I work there. I work for the man. But I really don't think there's ever been anyone better. And there's a few reasons why. One, he's extremely smart. And he knows how to work a question into an interview. If you come in there expecting to be hit hard, he'll go soft. If you're soft, he'll go hard. And he'll find a way to make you comfortable where the two of you are just having a chat. And all of a sudden... You forget about that there's millions of people listening, and you forget about the cameras that are around. You're on the couch with a great conversationalist. But the other great thing, and this is you know about being on SiriusXM, is that the interview can go for as long as it needs to go for. You don't have to get out for a commercial in five. You don't need, unless the guest needs to leave for some reason, there's no limitations. And that brings another area of comfortability. And last but not least, on a lot of the late-night shows, you do your pre-interview, you sort of know what you're going to talk about going in, and you tell your two stories, and then you're out. Here, you're with Howard, you find out something about the person that you never knew before. And combine all that with all of his experience, and you end up getting a fantastic interview. And it's not just for your Louis C.K.'s. I mean, it could be anybody who comes into that studio. Howard has that knack to get the best out of them. And I think that's why he's so successful. Do you think that there's, to me, we, it's like we've come back around again um, in in terms of interviewing. That's why I love doing this show. It can go on forever. Right. right? And we do. <laughs> <laughs> we do. But it, it seems like, you know, in the Carson era, that conversation was king, right? That the, the conversation itself is all you needed on a show. That's where there were the Tom Snyders of the world, the Dick Cavitts of the world, uh, having late-night shows. It seems that we're beginning to come around again where where just merely having a conversation is what stands out alone. Does that make any sense to you, John, that, that just having a talk, like that, what we're doing right now, there's really not many bells and whistles to this thing. Just the mere fact of listening to a good conversation, which I hope you agree this is, um, is, is, is a standout. And maybe we're coming back to that in, in terms of what television executives are, are looking for. I, I think that's exactly the case. And if you look at, let's, I mean, we're talking about late night. If you look at that landscape, it's so diverse. I'm not going to say diluted, but back in our day, Rich, you had Carson and then Letterman came on, right. and he had a couple other things, but that was it. There was no Daily Show. There was no, there was no alternative to your 11, 11 o'clock, 11.30 programming. Now, you've got conversations happening everywhere, and, and you've got the audience is really all over the place, and they're getting it on a podcast, or they're going online, or they're DVRing it, and this and that, and that immediacy, the only thing that really has that immediacy, I feel, on television anymore is sports. 
like sports, I have to watch live. I have a very hard time recording something yes. and then watching it later. But other than that, I mean, what else do you need to see live on TV? So, it's just it, it's a different it's a different sort of medium that way. But I always felt that a great conversation where you do get into the details and you are able to sort of meander a little bit and delve it, it, it humanizes the person that's talking. It humanizes the host as well, and it really gives it time to. I'm sure this happens to you all the time, Rich. You start talking to someone, and the first couple minutes, you're navigating, you're finding your way, you're kind of, you know, seeing where you can go and can't go. And then if you look up at the clock and you have to take a, you know, a, a spot break in two minutes, it kills your momentum. With the way things are now, conversations can just ebb and flow, just like real life, and it's more natural. And I think people really respond to that. Well, so, it'll continue. It's so difficult for me, John, to do this podcast and then go back into the TV side of things on Thursday night and hear somebody in my ear say, use only 90 seconds left, go to Dion, he's got something, or tell me, you know, suggest who to go to. And it's not like I'm unproducible. Right, Chris? Well. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, it's <laughs> not, you know what I mean? So, um... It's not like I can't play with others, but the fact that I now have a time constraint, I'm up against a commercial, and I know that if I have three, four more minutes, I can get something from Dion that I know is going to provoke something from Irvin, and now I can't do that. So what I do is I ask Dion and let Irvin go past the stop sign that the producers are putting up anyway, since that's what he does nine times out of ten, right? And then it's my job to hear the producers screaming on my ear, you got to help me get it to break. Like, that's my life on the TV side. And it's not – It's I prefer this well, so much more. I really do. you're interviewing a guest, like, in five or seven minutes, you can't get anything no, out well, of them. In, in a 30-minute interview, they open up, like you're saying, John, with Howard – you know, th those first few minutes, they're always a little close, but by the end of it, they've told them a hundred more things that they want to and don't want their parents listening to the interview. <laughs> and that's the beauty of, you know, those long form interviews and kind of what we've tried to, you know, emulate here a little bit. But I totally agree with you on the, the, the TV when side versus I heard radio. Coach Hoke on your podcast. Imagine if you had the situation where you had 90 seconds and you had to throw it to break versus the conversation no that you way. had with them. Right. I mean, it's a completely different interview and also your guest is is more at ease when you know you can just roll like that and rich i will say this you know and i know having me on you probably worry just as much about pissing off the ohio state and notre dame fans but you guys did such a good job with uh brady hope and and Thank i you. couldn't be more proud that our school has that gentleman as the head coach it just makes it, it means so much because when we were there, Rich, we had Bo. Yep. And you just knew he was the right guy. And with Hoke, you j maybe you needed a Rich Rod to yeah. get. Rich Rod didn't give you that feeling. No, no. Rich Rod <laughs> gave me the feeling that I wanted another coach. But you and I, Hoke, you and I were direct messaging quite a bit during the Rich Rod <laughs> era, John. You know, and yeah. I had to, I had to put Twitter away during the Rich Rod yeah, era because I. I had to there, stop. I was getting bad. I was getting Albert Breer-like, almost, oh. almost. I mean, but I had to stop. But I, I know exactly what you're saying. You know what I mean? Uh, and just a quick story. Uh, a couple years ago when we were in a different studio and we had an actual 
sound engineer run <laughs> yeah, this thing. Not Chris Lowry, right? You know, uh, with uh, Mike Del Tufo is a, a longtime sound engineer here. He's a Notre Dame guy, and we had Hoke call in three days after he got the job, and the phone rings, and I tell uh, Mike because he's a Notre Dame grad, I'm going to pick up the phone and hear the voice of the man that's going to haunt you for the rest of your days. And as I walked out the door, I could hear through the phone. It wasn't on speaker. I could hear through the actual handle of the phone. Yeah, the earset. 15 feet away, hear him say, this is Brady Hoke, University of Michigan, is how he said it. And I heard Bo, John. He sounded just like him. Wow. Just like him. You know? Oh, it's so great. I know. I hope he called him a, he called him a chicken, too, because I love that. <laughs> Come on. So so before I let you go, who are the sports guys you like listening to? Like, if you want to hear a game, which guys are you like, yes, I want this one? Who would you assign? Who would you assign to a football game, an NFL game? Let's put it that way. Oh, that's, that's such a great question. Let me answer with an old couple first and then bring it into the new. You got it. For me, nobody did a game better than Summerall and Madden. They were it. And I'm a Steeler guy. They were mostly NFC games, Giant games and whatnot. Right. yeah. Just two guys doing their thing, you know, a little bit of humor between them, but focused on the game. And and the thing that drives me crazy, and I won't name anybody in particular, but when, you know, it turns out being jokes and catchphrases and everything but what's going on on the field, that drives me nuts. I want to watch the game. I want the information on the game. I want, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll tie it back into our original conversation where, I understand that everyone isn't a football expert, and I'm not either when you're watching, but chances are you know a thing or two about the game. When guys get into more detailed analysis, that's what I love. And I, an analyst who really breaks things down for me and says, hey, we're, you know, they were playing cover two, but they switched because this and that. Maybe some of it goes over my head, but I feel like I'm getting educated as I watch the Steelers or whomever else. So... I love guys like that, and play-by-play guys who stick to the play-by-play. So so then who do you got um, current right now? It's funny. I like Nance a lot, but I feel like others feel like he hates the Steelers. Um, That's crazy. Let me just stop you right there, too, for all the listeners who say when they hear. Tariko, I think, just tweeted out after one of the games that he did in the NBA. He He called a game, I think, for ESPN. Tariko. Tweeted out. He basically said, this is the tweets that I just got in the span of five minutes. One person saying, you're such a homer of Team A. And the other person saying, couldn't listen to you. You're such a homer of Team B. Of the two teams that he just did. And there is none of that. None of that. And I think of all the people on the NFL who get hammered for that, wrongly, is, is Buck. Joe Buck. Yes, that they think for some reason Joe hates their team. And I know know for a fact Joe just wants to make sure that the broad, I mean, that's all he's about is a broadcast, John. It's incredible. People, Steeler fans think that that Nance hates their team? I've spoken to Joe, actually, about how every Yankee fan in the world is just, I mean. And he does not hate the the Yankees. He doesn't. But but here's, here's the thing. If the Yankees win the World Series, you don't hear that. And that's what I was going to say about Nance. If the Steelers lose, I'm all over them. If they win, I can look the other way. And I think a lot of fans are that way. You really you think know? Nance hates the Steelers, John? No, I, I think that I think that Nance and Sims are partial to the New England Patriots. I will say that they seem to like the Patriots a lot. 
Well, the Patriots and, are on more than any other team, pretty much. And since, and since they're one of the Steelers' greatest rivals, sometimes I will take issue with that. But I, I, I'm ducking your question. I don't want to. I'll give you a straight answer. <laughs> okay, sure. I, I love Gruden as an analyst. I think he's very excited to be there, knows a lot about the sport, will teach me something I don't know. And your guy, Mayock, I think he's incredible as an analyst. Yep. He, he breaks defenses down like, you know, um, nobody I've ever heard before. I like Sims a lot, except if he's doing a Steeler game and talking about, you know, why the other team is better. And uh, But all in all, I feel that it's become so tricky to distinguish yourself in this landscape now because we used to have, again, a lot less football on it. Thankfully, with you guys and with all the other networks, you could see, and of course the package on DirecTV, you could see any team anywhere, and that opens it up tremendously. But to really stand out, just call a good game, and everything will sort of take care of itself. So who's the guy? Who's the guy? Who's the guy you put in the booth? Play-by-play. Current. Give me one. now... My play-by-play guy would probably be Al Michaels. That's a great one. Can't go wrong with Al. <laughs> by the way, he is an all-timer in terms of meeting the moment. In terms of knowing the rule book too, he probably knows the rule book better than some some of the officials out there. Just knowing the moment and knowing how to broadcast to people. And just being there and doing that for as long as he is, calling the big red machine games, calling uh, UCLA basketball, the, San Fran earthquake game. the well, hall, the the world's countless World Series, the believe you know obviously Miracle, Miracle on Ice. Ice, Monday Night Football since the mid eighties, all the way to Sunday Night, which by the way is the number one show on television now. Yeah, can't beat. Al Michaels. Now, I, I do have to mention Joe Buck, too, because he's not only a friend, but I think he's fantastic. And I know he gets so much grief, <laughs> so much grief, and, and I don't understand it. I think a lot of it has to do with his partner. I don't know. With, Especially with, for baseball. Oh, with, well, with, yeah, <laughs> I hear you on that front. But in, in terms of uh, everything, you know, um, uh, you can't go wrong with Al. But I think I, I think Joe is really solid. I think he's very, very good. I think the problem that Joe suffers from publicly is that he made the mistake, and I'm using that mistake in quotes, of going beyond the world of sports, you know, with a talk show, and he tried to kind of branch out a little bit. And that's hard to do. It's very hard to do if people sort of have a target on you. If there's an angry Viking fan... And then they see Joe Buck doing a talk show and it doesn't deliver, you know, they're going to kind of push back on that, which has nothing to do with his play-by-play, by the way. Nothing. It's just public perception. And I think he had to battle that a little bit as his career has evolved. I also think he sort of, his, his, um, his color guys, if you will, get a lot of the attention versus him and i think that's a good thing as a play-by-play guy because you're doing your job but some people may see it otherwise but i do enjoy the games when joe calls them and i think it's hysterical that people actually think that he's biased it's crazy it's crazy i know i listen i'm a diehard 
Yankee fan. Bleed pinstripes in the same blood that I also bleed maize and blue. And I've been around Joe for for years. Never once have I even, because I could smell it. I could smell it on you, Brockman. What? You, you masshole. What? You hate the Yankees. <laughs> I do. You know what I mean? So I, I could smell it on people. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't smell it on him. Uh, John, this was fun. We got to do this again. I know it's been a, a, a while in the making, but I appreciate you coming on and, and doing this. Hey, I'm thrilled to talk to you guys anytime. And, uh, I, I really appreciate what you're doing podcast wise. Thank you. But your your guests are better than mine. I mean, <laughs> you're really, you guys well, knocking it out of the park. And anytime you want to talk TV or pop culture or um, you know uh, color guide bias, you're my guy. I didn't, I, yeah. I didn't even start on Collinsworth. I'm not even going to go there. Let's just go ahead uh, and make him the official pop culture. Um, I mean, pundit of the, of the podcast. I mean, I still had I still had so many Game of Thrones questions. Yeah, no, we got to get him back on because I got I'm a huge Howard Stern fan. I've been I, ever since it was on E. I was 14, and that's when I first started watching the late nights on, on <laughs> E right. on E Channel. 11, back in the 11 day. to so 12 wanna, Eastern. You know, we'll we'll have you back on. We'll have you back on um, in, sh- in short order, John. Okay. I appreciate that, and I'll leave you guys with a tease. If you have questions about this last episode, wait until the finale, my friends. And you're going to have a lot more questions, and we'll leave it at that. All right. Wow. There you go. John right. John Hine, you can follow him on Twitter at J-O-N-H-E-I-N. It's J-O-N-M-H-E-I-N. Oh, there's an M in there. Someone what happened? There. Someone squatting on John Hine? All right. Here's what happened real quick, because I know you want to wrap up. So I get a couple of emails of pe- from people asking me why I'm trashing Howard on Twitter. And I wasn't Uh-oh. on Twitter. And I go there, and somebody had the name John Hine, but not only that, they were really subtle about it. Howard would interview, let's say, you, Rich, and right afterwards, there would be a tweet from me saying, you know, Rich Eisen, he really doesn't know his stuff. Or Howard didn't go hard enough with him. Like, there were subtle digs that were happening. So people would believe it was actually me. So I got in touch with the powers that be at Twitter, which was a little bit of a song and dance, and I said, look, this isn't me. Can you please shut it down? And they did, and I, they gave me, you know, I took on John M. Heim, but then I was like, you know what? I'd like to have my name, and Twitter said, no, that account is dead. Wow. So John Heim is dead, but John M. Heim lives on. I can't on believe Twitter. the king of all media cannot help you with that. That's, <laughs> nope. that's an outrage. You know what? He can only pull so many strings. <laughs> okay, so J O N M A G I N, John M. Hine. Uh, also, obviously, uh, Jump the Shark uh, is your creation, which has created so many different things uh, for you and for all folks who want to follow pop culture. And uh, we enjoy listening to you on the wrap up show on Sirius Radio as well. Thanks, Rich. Real fun talking to you guys. Go Blue, bud. You too. That's John Heim here on the Rich Eisen podcast. That was fun with John. He's definitely going to get back on this show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I want to pick his brains on some of the behind the scenes stuff at the Stern. He's show. officially our pop culture expert. Agreed. On show. Especially with uh, Breaking Bad starting back up yep. soon, he'd yep. be a good one to oh, get yeah. when that shows up for sure. Almost over. And in terms of announcers, you know, where I think he didn't want to choose one, like but Al Michaels, you can't you can't beat Al Michaels. I don't think he was feeling your uh, your fa- your uh, um, our guy from our Joe Buck. I don't know. I mean, again, I thought he was going to go with like a younger guy. No, it can't beat Al Michaels. But, you know, this just brings this up to I was tweeting my head off about it on Wednesday night. Mike Emmerich, the play by play announcer of NBC Sports covering hockey. He is an all timer. He is one of the best ever 
at this. And hockey, at the, the cadence and the speed of the game, he never misses a name. He never screams at the wrong time. I, I tweeted this out on Wednesday night. The best play-by-play announcers never break stride in describing the action when the action spikes. Like, they never trip over words or mash words together because they're too excited to get out the information. They sp- they're still spot on on that. But they use their inflection of their voice to match the moment with emotion. You know, and Al Michaels is the king of that. You know, the king of that. And then also just having human reactions like he did what? Do right. you believe in miracles? You know, like that. He's, that's what you said. Because in the end, they're a fan okay. too. And how would Correct. we react if we were watching the game? You've we, got to match. We, 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 we go nuts. We scream. We jump up and down. But just like using, you know, just, and there's a shot, you know, like using your voice to describe right. what's happening with that emotion. Mike Emmerich is a maestro with that. Incredible. He is a maestro. Like, so you, just in describing the action, raising your voice with emotion, inflection, bringing the emotion into it there but never breaking stride in, in, in the describing. Mike Emmerich is unbelievable. If you're not watching the game, you know when his voice starts rising in octaves to make sure your eyes are on the screen. It hits the post. You know, he's, he's, his voice just, it just hits a crescendo and it hits the post or scores, but then he understands that you got to go, the action is now somewhere else, and his voice comes down again. Yep. It really is like an orchestra. And then his choice of words to get the, you know, knifing the puck, pitchforked the puck out of the zone. Slicing. He's unreal. Have you ever met him? No, we got to get him on. Okay. We'll I don't know it. how much football. He may know zero football. I have no, I doubt it. Doesn't though. matter. He probably loves Doug Flutie, though. Isn't he, uh, isn't he a, he's, I'm sure he's, <laughs> is, he, it, is he Canadian? No, he's from Indiana. How do I know this? He probably it's loves called Doug Google. Flutie. <laughs> This brings up a perfect segue. Wait, wait, this wait, brings so, up a perfect segue. Hold on. A hold on this brings hold up on. a perfect a segue. Remember, I got because, Jeff Garcia. Earlier. Because I was putting the kids to bed, okay, doing the whole kids thing. Oh, God. And then I turn to Twitter, and I see Law talking about great action in playoff hockey. I then turn on CNBC, or uh, NBC, NBC, NBC Sports, Sports, Sports Network, Sports Network yeah. and I start settling in. And then, so I was informed by Chris Law on Twitter about what this happened, and then five minutes later, I've got to re- get this tweet right away. <laughs> I've got to get this tweet right away. Then five minutes later, I look down at Chris Law, I'm just because I'm tweeting like crazy. I, f- I find just being on Twitter for a big sp- sports moment. It, there's nothing like it. It's really great. You're seeing other people's reactions. Right. I, am, I am a second window junkie for that sort of Me thing. Me too, big you time. Know? And, and so um, here we go. Let's get Chris Law's tweet. You saw this too, right? Yeah, I saw it. Oh, man. Somebody was on this computer, and I'm trying to log in. What in the world is going on here in this studio? How many many podcasts use the same studio here? 15? Are we up to 15 now? I think we have seven now. Oh, my Lord. I mean, you can get it on your okay, phone, here's, you well, got, Do you have it, or do you want me to uh, get here it? Here it is. Here it is, everybody. Chris, unless he's been tweeting. Have you been tweeting all day? No. I just okay, here it is. Here's what Chris Law said, finally. Um... Oh, man. 16 hours ago, Rich. 16 hours ago. Yeah. Here it is. Um, you got it? Oh, here we go. Just realized I paused earlier and was nine minutes behind in OT on my DVR. Hashtag dough. <laughs> Hashtag first world problems. 
Latex salesman. And I think I retweeted that saying impeccable live tweeting law. Right. Well, here's why. And then I responded, you know, that, you that's a latex salesman. The worst salesman. part is, this is how I found out, because there was that hit in the game where uh, the defender hit the guy into the goalie and leveled him. And I threw out a, the Bash Brothers would have been proud of that, a Mighty Ducks reference. A Mighty Ducks reference. And I'm seeing on Twitter, no one else is mentioning this hit. I'm like, <laughs> this is one of the best hits of the game, and no one's mentioning it. And then I, and then I hit uh, fast forward, and it starts fast forwarding, and I see I'm about 10, 11 minutes behind. Good job. Yeah, not good. Well done. That's our guy right there. He's our guy, Rich. How would this show operate without me? I don't know. Through thick and thin. To be very, very honest. Um, How long have you had that avatar up? Yeah, and by Will the you way, change that man. <laughs> what? Is it, this is it guy you driving a car? But what, what is, what by the way, it? look at those like '80s uh, blue shades? blocker shades you got going uh, on. You right now, there. by the way, no matter how much grief you're receiving for this, you must now leave it up so people can see it. Yes, and it's a way my, to get you followers too. And I changed my background yesterday. Very thick beard. I went to the Price Is Right when I was 18, and that's my name tag now. So I got that up there. Oh, okay. You're on the prices, right? That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it was cool. Did you Bob, get to contestants Bob Barker, row? With Bob? No, it was my 18th birthday. I thought I would get on. You know, blah blah blah. I was out here visiting LA for the first time. And uh, by the way, a lot of politics go into getting on that show. A lot like, of politics. Yeah, you, you have be loud. if you if you know somebody, you can get on. Uh, I've heard hmm. I've heard a lot of stories about that. So you did not get to contestants. I didn't. Row. I didn't get to contestants. Row. It was fun though to see Barker in his element though before he hung him up. Did I ever tell you the one time I met Bob Barker? No. Here it is. Please do. Quick story, and then we'll get to uh, McGinnis and then wrap this thing up. Uh, as you know, Susie and I are big dog rescue nuts, right? Hudson the dog, 10 years old, rescue dog. Have your pets spayed or neutered to help control the pet population. We've already said that here, okay? So I go to a, a dog rescue event, and who's the honoree? Bob Barker. Of course. Come Why not? On. So I go up to him, and I'm like, you know, Mr. Barker, my name's Rich Eisen. I work on NFL Network. I could see immediately he had no idea who the hell I was. <laughs> All right, so now I'm officially just Joe Blow, but I'm fine with that. You're good you know I'm that. fine with that. Yeah, of course. I'm fine with that. So, um, or at least I like to tell myself I'm fine with that. I mean, I've seen you in public. I'm fine with that. So I go and I just tell him, like, so what I do for a living is I've spent, you know, seven years on SportsCenter. I've been on NFL Network five years. It is my job to host a show, and I see the way you do your job contestants row anybody who comes down to contestants row old young fat skinny white black anybody of any race color or creed that comes down to your contestants row you welcome the same way with open arms and when i do my job whether it's a 21 year old rookie or a 75 year old former nfl player Whoever I'm talking to, I want to make sure that they're as comfortable and as happy as being on my set as anybody else. And it doesn't matter what they've done. So I just want to say thank you so much for the way you've done your job. And you've carried yourself. You've been an inspiration to me. And he looks at me and goes, do you want a hug? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> yes, I want a hug. Wow. And I hugged the man. Susie took a picture of it and everything. That's great. I'm hugging him. And I yes, make one tweet. Yes, I make one tweet. Fact, I do want to <laughs> hug you. That might have been more ridiculous than... Why? I mean, you've said a lot of ridiculous things Why? on this show. Why is it ridiculous? Yeah. I Listen, when I see somebody whose work I appreciate or somebody I've watched, I will always tell them. I don't care if I makes an ass of myself. I'll put it out there on my sleeve. That's the type of guy I am. And that's not under armor, chainmail under your sleeve. No, Rich. nice. 
Red Wedding reference, everybody. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Oh, boy. <laughs> Ruth Bolton. So, okay, let's get to this because uh, we got to get yeah, this. Yes, about four this, and a half minutes. This long. may be the most newsworthy item of our entire show. This might blow it up. I'm so, again, to reset it up, Willie McGinnis came on, on the uh, Deacon Jones uh, podcast remembering uh, the great Deke. And, um, and before we let him go, I had to hit him up about this. Go ahead, Law. Uh, before I let you go, Willie. Um, I got to ask you, you, you're, you're in the Bieber neighborhood, correct? You're yes. In that neighborhood? Yes, I am. Okay. Rich. So are, is he, is he, is he, is he zooming, is he zooming up and down the street all the time or what, what's, what's going on in that? What, what in the hell is going on in you, the Bieber neighborhood? You know what? There's a lot, since he's moved in, there's been a lot of action. Our street is one of the hottest streets in Calabasas. In all of Calabasas. <laughs> in all of Calabasas. Well, you're saying that figuratively because every street in Calabasas is literally hot. I yeah. mean, it's hot. it is the surface it, it, of the sun you're is. living on but right see, now. see, we lost Britney Spears. She was on the street before. So she was. She left and moved out. So Britney out, out Beebs in. Beebs in. Is it true he moved into Strahan's, Strahan's house? house? Is yes. that true? Oh, he bought Strahan's yes. house. Yes, he bought that and the lot next door. Oh. Yeah, he's making room. Making a spread. Wow. Yeah, he's making a spread. Well, I mean, you got to have a, a drag strip somehow, <laughs> right? I mean, if you're not going to use the street all the time, you've got to have your call, own. I, I, I've never seen JB, and you know, since we're neighbors, I call him JB. JB? Yeah, JB. Yeah. I've never seen JB sprinting up and down the street. But if he, but if he, I've heard that he's, you know, he drives fast. But the one thing I can say about him, my daughters, my wife, they've yeah. seen him out yeah. on his motorcycle, his little dirt bike and stuff, and other kids, he'll stop. And speak and talk to the kids and stuff like that. So he's neighborly. Is what he is saying. neighborly. He is neighborly. He is very neighborly to some. <laughs> to some. <laughs> yeah, I hear their neighbors getting rough. Well, if you drive a pre, if you drive, if you drive a Prius, yes, and you're X Y receiver in the neighborhood, yes. then he's not so neighborly. <laughs> <laughs> but so so. Does he drive ninety miles an hour up the street? Or I've he never seen him, but I, you know, I, I've heard he drives fast up the hill. But there's a lot of people that drive fast up our hill. Right now, that's one thing. There's a lot of kids and families and stuff like that. You can't drive fast up the hill. I think it's only twenty-five to thirty miles up. You're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him. They said he has. Hey, so if there is a Calabasas Neighborhood Association meeting. Sort of like the town meeting that we see in movies like Hoosiers or whatever, and okay. everybody's there, and 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 uh, and and whoever is in charge of this meeting says, "Is there anybody here who speaks on Beeb's behalf?" You're raising your hand, William McGinnis. Well, it sounds like you're raising. No, you're pro Bieber. You're a pro Bieber. You're a believer. You're a believer in the neighborhood. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Yes. We, I can't believe because, you said it. Because, <laughs> yes. Because my daughters love him. Open. Okay. But if he's doing something that's going to harm, you know, people, or he's of course he's, I'm not going to. But I have to be able to witness that. I can't. I can't. I can't talk for but, something I haven't witnessed. But Key said it happened. He says a lot of things that could happen or could not happen. <laughs> Fired. Okay. USC. No, it's my really. guy. But I'm saying right. I don't. I, I wasn't there. If Key was there and saw the guy, or, yes. Key, or if a neighbor told Key what right. happened, and then Key took it upon himself right. to go over there, that's on them. I I have to see something, and then will you be mediating? There, there's a way you have to go approach somebody too. If not, there's not a problem, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. If there's a problem, you have to be able to, to approach somebody the right way because if you approach me the wrong way, then I'm going to get defensive. You're not going to scurry, but he scurried. According to the Associated <laughs> Press, used the word scurried. You can scurry he scurried when away. you're worth <laughs> hundreds of millions and you have five security guards you scurry. out there. You, why not? Who are bigger than you. Yeah, he's, what is he, 19, 20? 
Yeah. He's scurry right behind the security, and they just took care of everything. Well, I mean, because, you know, Dickerson tweeted out that he lives in the neighborhood, too, and he needs to slow his ass down. That was funny. And the reason <laughs> that is funny is because Dickerson lives about five miles up the freeway from the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even. He's not in the Oaks. Calling out a he might not even be in the zip code. He's not in the Oaks. But he, but Dickerson, to 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 his defense, yes. he was one of the first, one of the first to live in Calabasas, the area oh. of Calabasas. So he's like the ambassador of Calabasas. So nothing goes through Calabasas without Ed. So Ed planted the flag in he Calabasas for, for, for NFL community yes. members of, yes. like yourself. He was one of the first guys that, to live out, to move out that way. Yes, and so has. so does that mean there has been some, some sort of Calabasas urban sprawl that we're now five miles away <laughs> with you and and Stray selling the Beebs who's buying out Brittany hey, and all I, that stuff I or whatever? I, was, I thought I was moving to Calabasas to get, get away, away from, from all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you are that far. I mean, Calabasas is all the way out there. I moved out of, I moved, I moved out of the neighborhood to get away from all that stuff. Oh, and it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Thanks for the scoop. All right. There you go. That's incredible. There's the... <laughs> Key says a lot of things. Key says a lot of things is what he says. That was that was hilarious. That's and then he calls out Dickerson. That was one of my favorite that parts. That he's five miles away. <laughs> Fantastic. He's five miles away. All right. Uh, do we have an international shout-out for our our um, our friends across the pond? Do we, we have the one? other thing we didn't get we to was, uh, Brockman, you did that write-up on Game of Thrones, too, uh, and we missed it with John Hine, but if you want to just tell people where they can I did. You can go to it. You can go to chrisbrockman.com and just uh, nice. scroll down through my links. I did, a, uh, I did a mashup. I mean, if you've seen The Red Wedding, it's not through The Red Wedding. I did it a few weeks ago where I compared Game of Thrones characters to their NFL counterparts. Very good. Look forward to seeing that. If you already haven't, you should do that. Uh, international uh, shout-out of the week is Josh Moore at More Josh. Hey, Chris Brockman, how about an international shout-out for Brisbane, Australia? Brisbane. Currently doing a paper about the salary cap while he listens to the hey. REP. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Well, is there a salary cap you, in like Australian rules football? Perhaps. I don't know. I also have... Um, what salary cap? If, listen, uh, anyone out there, if you're tweeting us about salary cap, be more specific. <laughs> To, to, to the, the sport. To yeah, the sport. Just, yeah, yeah. I, I also have uh, one more nominee for an, a new open entry, and this is it, Rich. You may you may recall. Okay. May, may or maybe or maybe okay. not recall <laughs> s- saying this. Probably not. What is this? Hold on one second. Oh, I know what this is. As I as I cue it up here. Two of the best producers. Yeah, you know, when you talk about a Chris Law or when you talk about a Chris Brockman, you're yeah. talking about two of the best producers that a podcast can possibly have. <laughs> It's a clip and save. Maybe a new Forget about the context. I mean, can I just make that my, my voicemail or something? Sure. <laughs> sure. Go for it, guys. And uh, next week's guest, uh, Deshaun Jackson, is going to be in studio. In studio. I'll be on the East Coast in New York, but uh, we've got a fill-in producer. Wilk will be back, I, I believe. Yeah, and we're going to fix him up with Bradley Cooper, right? <laughs> friend, <laughs> friend of the program. Oh, man. Yeah, but uh, he's in studio. He's got a Father's Day documentary coming out about his dad who Very passed good. away from pancreatic cancer. So Okay, that'll be good. And uh, Joe Manganiello. Yeah, big, big Steeler fan. He's back. True Blood is coming back for its final season. Final season. So he will be here in studio. Is he going to be in Magic Alert? Mike 2 also? I don't know. Is there a Magic Mike 2? I don't think there is one yet. There isn't. Oh, I thought there was. Not I just yet. watched I that for the first time recently. Good stuff. Yeah, Soder- pretty good. Soderbergh in Fuego. He was. He I is. had a Soderbergh week with that and uh, Candelabra. Candelabra. The There's Candelabra. a very similarity uh, in the uh, Magic Mike <laughs> behind the Candelabra uh, <laughs> uh, film uh, content. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, Joe, Mangale- Joe Manganello will be here in person. So alert the ladies on staff. Remember when uh, Becky Chapman was helping oh, out gosh. for that brief week or two with the podcast? That was the week she was here with the and deep J- V. In the deep V. And we put with Joe Manganiello in the deep V. And we oh, superimposed back in the day. Back in the day. television uh, show every we super, week. We <laughs> superimposed your head on uh, miss, miss those days. Yes, Rich. I do. Uh, good to see you at Chris Law. And good to see you at Chris Brockman. Great to see you. For At The Eisen Podcast, I'm at Rich Eisen signing off. And for all of us here at the Medill School of Journalism, thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. Stay listening, dear friends.